0: up high school. If we have not met, my name is Anna Wills and I'm our high school girls coordinator here at Mount
1: Horeb. Hey everyone and I am Charity. I'm the small group coordinator here in Student Ministries.
0: And we are so, yeah, we are so, so excited to be here with you guys tonight as we wrap up our series called, let's say that one more time. Thank you. You guys are such good listeners. But tonight, we are talking about a habit that can be so detrimental, a habit that can ruin so many relationships, but a habit that can be so, so freeing, and that's the habit
1: of confession. Yeah, so right now, in your guys' minds, I want you to think of your funniest confession or habit that you may have. And while you guys are thinking on those things, we're going to kick off the night with with, um, confessions from your very own student ministry staff. And these are very funny. And the first one comes from our girl, Hayden Lance. Do you guys know Hayden? Middle school girls coordinator. And her tweet is, I thought you had to stand on a scale to be weighed at the DMV when you go and get your learner's permit. I was quickly relieved and went back to eating my Oreos when I found out I could just write down any weight I wanted to. Hashtag double stuff yourself.
0: Our next confession comes from our very own Bryce Holdman. If you don't know Bryce, he is our Young Adults Coordinator here at Mount Horeb. And he said, When I was two years old, I was at Disney World and I heard a loud toilet flush and it scared me. So now I plug my ears when flushing the toilet because it sounds louder to me than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Hashtag flush Game Strong.
1: And our next one comes from our very own Trevor Miller. And he says, I smell my shoes before I put them on each time. Not sure where it began, but it's probably something I need to stop doing. Hashtag trick or treat smelly feet.
0: And last but not least, we have a confession from the one and only Daniel Savanis, Wild Stallion. (laughs) And he said, someone once told me that it was okay to not shampoo your hair every day. It makes it look more natural and healthy. They said two to three days was the way to go. I've definitely made it a week. Hashtag styles Hair (laughs) Care. Now, these confessions
1: and habits are really funny, um, but tonight we're going to dive a little bit deeper, Um, and before we get into defining what confession is, we're first going to talk about what the opposite of confession is.
0: Yeah, so this opposite habit of confession is keeping skeletons in the closet, which is the title of our message tonight. And this is a phrase that I think we're all familiar with and we've all heard at least once or twice in our lives, but it refers to keeping things and parts of our lives concealed from others. And I was thinking about this the other day when we were preparing for this message, and it just occurred to me that that phrase, keeping skeletons in the closet, is so, so random. And I was like, what, how did we get that, how does that mean what it means? And so, I got in touch with my inner nerd and did a little research, so let me share with you guys what I found. So, this phrase originates from 18th century England and during this time, doctors in Britain were not allowed to operate on corpses unless they were the corpses of executed criminals. And since execution was not a common practice during this time, the doctors would get these bodies of these executed criminals and they would do their research on them. And then once they were done, they would store them in their closet so they would have them next time. And that's really gross, but just bear with me, we're almost done. But while these corpses were in the closet in these dark enclosed-off spaces, they would rot and they would decay until eventually all that was left was the skeleton. And so it became such a common practice that a lot of people would just go up to doctors and say, what kind of skeletons do you have in your closet? And so it just became this, um, this, this thing that referred to keeping parts of it concealed. But, and you're probably wondering, like, Anna, why are you telling us that? That didn't have anything to do, with, to do with confession. But I tell you that to paint a picture of how detrimental it can be to keep these confessions inside. I mean, it literally eats us alive. And so I think about in Psalm 32 when David is... Um, talking to God. And if you know David, if you remember David, he is the one who had his whole life set up for him when he was anointed king at such a young age. He's the one who was always referred to as a man after God's own heart. But David was also the guy who had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And then after that, he had her husband killed. So David had a lot of stuff going on in his past, a lot of skeletons in his own closet. And so in Psalm 32, he's coming before God and saying, begging for forgiveness for his sins and transgressions. And so Psalm 32, verses 3 through 4, David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and for night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And I really want you guys to think about that imagery that he paints there. I mean, bones wasting away, groaning all day long under God's heavy hand, strength dried up. And you might hear that and read that and think, that sounds so terrible and so dramatic, but it's true. I mean, think about times in your life when you've had to keep things hidden from other people, and it eats you alive. And the thing is, we've always done this. We've always kept things from other people and kept secrets. And we see in Genesis, Adam and Eve, what's the first thing that they do after they sin? They go and hide, and God comes after them, and they're hiding. And we live in such a concealed world. I mean, girls, the makeup industry in our world is a billion-dollar industry, and that's a billion-dollar industry dedicated to helping women cover up their true selves. And then there's social media, which is riddled with fake accounts. And I know Fenstas or fake Instagrams, for those of you who don't know, are super cool, and just about everyone in this room probably has one, and they can be funny, but people actually have fake accounts on social media to hide from their realities. And so my question about this is, if God already knows all of the ins and outs of our lives, and he already knows every single thing that we've done, and he's supposed to be the most powerful being in our lives, then why are we hiding this from him? Why are we hiding this from anyone? And I think the answer to that is because we have learned to fear man more than we fear God. And by this, I mean we care more about what the person sitting next to us thinks than we do what the almighty judge of the universe thinks. And that's not okay. And so because of this, we've learned to hold stuff in. We keep things concealed. We keep all of these skeletons in our closet. And this is why we have students and friends who make such a terrible mistake at the age of 10, and now they're 16, 17, or 18, and they are broken, and they are drowning in their guilt and their shame. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when we think about why don't we confess these things,
1: why don't we speak up, About the things in our life that may not be so good, the things that we struggle with. And I think it goes back to um, Adam and Eve in the garden. So, whenever they sinned, they didn't just come out and talk about it amongst each other. They didn't go to God and talk about what they had done. What they did is they ran and they hid. And one thing that I know that Satan loves to do to us is to trick us, and he wants us to isolate ourselves. And isolation is toxic. And whenever we have shame and guilt in our life, I feel like. A lot of times we have the tendency to hide it, to stuff it, to pretend like it does not exist, because that's easier. Um, But there's this quote that I heard from Brene Brown one time, and it says, If you put shame and guilt in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And so when you think about that, if that's what it needs to grow, then what does it need to not grow. So something to stomp on it, to make sure it doesn't have any more growth in your life. And I think the answer is to expose that secrecy, to speak up about the silence and to not fear judgment. And if there's one thing I know, like God is the loving God and he's not going to hold those things against us. But I think Satan, he uses his tactics, tax, tactics against us and he will make us hide from these things he'll make us put them away put them in our closets and that's kind of where we get the term skeletons in the closet when we talk about it is what are those things that we choose to not think about not talk about um and maybe they're things only god satan and yourself know Um, And since we're diving deeper tonight, and we're going to talk about confessions, Anna and I both are going to share stories about um, things that we've struggled with in the past, and so Anna's going to share.
0: Yeah, so when I was growing up, my family was at church most every Sunday, Um, so I grew up knowing all of the classic Bible stories like Jonah and the Whale and Noah's Ark and all that good stuff, but I also knew the basic foundations of the Christian faith, And when I was in middle school, I was introduced to pornography simply by a kid coming up on the playground or at recess or whatever we were at and saying, hey, whatever you do, don't look this up. And so as a middle schooler, what am I going to do if someone tells me not to do something? I'm going to go look it up, of course. And so what started out as just a basic curiosity quickly turned into something that I wouldn't call an addiction, but a habit that I went back to because of that curiosity. And all this time, it was not something I felt guilty about. I could just look at it and not care. It didn't make me feel bad. And I also didn't tell anyone because there were so many stigmas around that. Um, So much, you know, even though I didn't feel bad, telling someone was not something I wanted to do. But when I was in high school, when I was 16, about to enter my junior year of high school, all of this anxiety started coming up from this guilt and the shame that I started to feel. And all I could think was, God, like, why am I feeling bad about this now? That's something that's in my past. I shouldn't feel bad about this anymore. But I went through about a four-month season, a very, very dark season of anxiety and depression that was so, so deep. And during this, I shut down um, emotionally and physically. And um, because I had done something bad, because I had grown up being seen as a good person, a goody-two-shoes, if you will, and because I had done something bad, I started believing that I was something bad. And so because of that, like I said, I shut down. And so I stopped eating as much. I wasn't taking care of myself. I stopped fixing my hair every day. I wasn't dressing like I really cared. And because um, the truth is I didn't. I stopped loving myself because, because of this mistake. I didn't feel worth it anymore. I didn't love myself anymore, and I didn't think anyone else should either. And so because of all of that, I got to the point where I would lay in bed and say, God, I don't even care if you wake me up tomorrow morning. I don't, I don't want to because of this shame and this guilt and just how detrimental I felt. And so, like I said, this was not something I talked about. My um, closest friends and my family had absolutely no idea, and I kept up this facade of being this happy-go-lucky person who always had a smile on her face. But inside, I was absolutely broken. And just like Trevor said in week one of the series, um, I had everyone around me fooled, but I could not fool God. And because of that, there were so many times when I could feel him urging me and pressing me to go and confess to someone. And because of embarrassment and fear of judgment and shame, I never did. And so this thing had become a skeleton in my closet, and it was something that affected me in so many ways.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Anna. I feel like even though um, our stories are different, it's really cool to see just how we can relate to each other when it comes to just our emotions and feelings behind our stories. Um, And similar to Anna, I kept kept something really tucked away um, in my life, and it was something that I kept tucked away for about three years. And so just a little context into my life. Um, So I'm originally from West Virginia. Uh, My parents moved there when I was five years old and they started a nonprofit ministry um, in a little town called Rosedale. And my parents decided to homeschool us kids until we were in eighth grade. And so we did a lot of things with my family um, when it came to doing ministry. And there was four of us kids. I was the third oldest. And so um, we just grew up in church. Um, I knew all the, the Sunday school songs. I knew the Bible verses you name it, um, looked great on the outside, just really good Christian solid kid, but little did I know that I didn't have a foundation underneath my faith. You could say my faith um, was by inheritance. That's what I would like look back on it and say that's kind of what that was. Um, And then something happened um, in our lives and it just changed the whole dynamics of my life and also my family's life. And so when I was a freshman in high school, I was 14 years old, Um, my older brother, he was 15, and he got diagnosed with a cancer called Ewing sarcoma bone cancer. And it's a cancer that attacks the joints and the bones and it's really rapid and it's progressive and it just overcomes your body really really fast. It's really hard to beat. Um, I'm pretty sure at that time the statistics said like he had a one percent chance of living and within four and a half months of us finding out this diagnosis he ended up passing away. And my family didn't know how to handle this and so Instead of talking about it, instead of processing our emotions and feelings, what we chose to do um, was to not talk about it and to avoid it and to stuff all those feelings. And so at a young age, not knowing how to process something like this, I chose to numb out. And the ways that I chose to numb out um, was through drinking alcohol and partying with friends. Um, I got super depressed. I had a lot of stomach issues because I was so stressed out. It was really hard to keep food in. Um, I also, if I got tired of being numb through drinking alcohol, I would choose to self-harm because then I would feel pain in a different way. Um, And I think I was just looking for some type of numbing or some type of feeling. And I chose to use different things in my life to feel those things. Instead of running to God, I ran very far away from him, and I chose to use things um, that Satan tells us to do and the way that the world throws things at us. And so this was a secret in my life that was just overwhelming, Um, but because of those internal feelings, externally, I decided to present myself as this really happy person, I was good on the outside, I was popular, I was talkative. I mean, I got like the senior superlative most talkative because I got detention multiple times for talking in class. Like I did all the things um, when it just came to just being the life of the party. But that was just a facade, that was fake. That was me just presenting myself on the outside as really great and good, that way no one would ask me questions. Um, And I, I remember the day that my dad came to my high school And I got called down to the office, and I saw my dad standing there. And I was like, hey, dad, what's up? What you doing? And he was like, you're coming with me. Get your stuff. And I was like, okay. And so I got in the car, and I'll never forget when my dad pulled out this journal that I had been writing in. And I had been writing down my thoughts and my feelings. I had written down the things that I was going through. And all of a sudden, I was terrified and paralyzed by fear because my dad knew what I was going through. The first time anyone ever knew any of that stuff. And so we had to talk about it. And so after we talked about it, me and my mom talked about it afterwards, um, I felt like crap because it was really, really hard to discuss those things and to bring that into the light. And believe it or not, that did not um, make me stop feeling those ways and doing those things. Instead, I actually chose avoidance um, from home. And so I didn't technically run away from home, but I decided to not be at home. And so I would live with friends. I practically lived out of my car um, for as long as you can say I did just because that was easier for me to not be at home, to talk about it, and to be known by my parents was terrifying. Um, But what was really cool um, through that is that was the first very hard, but first step that I took into bringing my crap into the light. And I'm not saying that that first step, like was the ending step. It wasn't this miraculous thing that happened, but that was, I think a pivotal step in my life where it was the first time that I actually opened up and spoke those things out in, in the open. Um, and so going on from that, I eventually was able to speak up about it later on. Um, but that was definitely really, really hard.
0: So what Charity and I both realized early on in both of our um, respective habits is that these are things that we did not talk about, things we didn't want to talk about and things that socially you just didn't share with other people. And guys, I really, really want you to understand that if you're feeling this guilt and feeling that pain and you're feeling trapped by these things that you may have done or things that have happened to you, there is a way out. You do not have to remain feeling that way any longer. And so the only way out of this is by confession. And so confession is such a powerful, powerful tool, especially in the lives of Christians. And dictionary.com defines this word confession as to acknowledge or to make known. And so in a biblical sense, um, confession can be to acknowledge your sins before God. And I like to think of it as owning your sin before your sin owns you. And so this actual Greek word for confession from Scripture is homo and that simply means to agree, and so in a biblical sense, again, that what this is saying is confession is coming to God and saying, God, I agree with you that what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about doing is sin, and it's wrong, and you say it's wrong, and so do I now, and that's what true confession is, but see, the beautiful thing is that when we come to Jesus and say these things, God doesn't just look the other way and condemn us, He wipes the slate clean. He truly forgives and forgets, and that is such a foreign concept to us because anyone can come to us and confess something, confess something they've done towards us or to us or behind our backs, and we can say, I forgive you and I forget you. But if we're being honest with ourselves, isn't there always something in the back of your head that's never going to forget what they did to you? And so there's this story that preachers often tell, and it's about this woman who starts having these visions of Jesus. And so the local priest hears about it, and he says, okay, well, let me go validate this. Is she really having visions of Jesus? And so he goes and talks to her, and the woman confirms it, and he says, well, next time you see Jesus in your dream and your vision, ask him what the last things I confessed were, what the last sins that I confessed to him were, and then come and tell me, and we'll see if you're really having these. And so the woman, um, the next time she has this vision of Jesus, she asks him what the last sins the priest confessed were. And he grabbed her hand and looked her in the eyes and said, I don't remember. And those were the only words that he said were, I don't remember. And so hearing this story, some of you might be thinking, what, Jesus didn't remember? Like, I thought he was Jesus. But that's the very part of it. Like I said, we always have in the back of our heads, we don't forget the sins other people committed against us. But Jesus wiped the slates clean and he does not remember. It's not in the back of his mind anymore because he has made you clean. And I think that Charity and I can both agree with our stories that this habit of confession is both the worst, but also the best possible thing that ever happened to us. And so I like to think about it like working out. And so I'll be totally honest with you guys in light of confession that I have a very love-hate relationship with exercise. And so the other day, I actually went to the gym for the first time in a couple weeks, and um, It's not something I woke up and I was like, oh, yes, I get to run two miles today. It's going to feel so amazing, and I'm going to be great. It's going to be awesome. No, when my alarm went off that morning, I thought, how many times can I press snooze before it becomes socially unacceptable? And so an hour and a half later, I (laughs) um, finally dragged myself out of bed and made it to the gym, and the whole time I was running, I was like, this stinks, I'm sore, I'm going to be sore afterwards, I just want to be doing my other stuff I have on my to-do list, knocking out this stuff. But I knew that if I really pushed through um, those thoughts and I really pushed through the pain, that I could do it. And because I could do it, it would make me healthier, and it would make me feel better. And so it's the same with confession, though, isn't it? I mean, like, I'm not going to think in my head, oh, I can't wait to tell charity my deepest, darkest secrets. It's going to be so awesome. No, I'm thinking, this is going to suck. It's, it's just going to suck. That's it. But I know that if I can push through that uncomfortableness and through that terrible feeling and that pain, that it's going to make me better and it's going to make me grow. Yeah.
1: And I think confession, I know confession, is just a very powerful thing. Um, And so, whenever we are confessing and bringing things to God or bringing things to each other um, to share about these things, like, what are, think about, like, our heart behind confession. Like, what are our motives? Are we doing it because we feel like we want to be a better person? Or are we doing it because our pastor tells us to and our parents expect us to? Like, what is the motives behind confession? And this is really important because if we're confessing because we want to get it off our shoulder so we can go and do it again, that's not true confession. Um, there's a difference between confession and repentance, um, and repentance is feeling, re- like, remorseful over these things that we've done. We're feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, and whenever we repent um, to, to Jesus, to God, and we say, God, take these things from me, we're literally asking God to, like, remove them, to make them gone, to not let them be present in our lives again, Um and there's a verse in Galatians 2, 20 through 21. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This verse is literally saying that we have been crucified with Christ, and that means when we confess and repent, our sins are then crucified. Like, they're dead. They're gone. They're not there anymore, and I think that is so, so powerful to know that when we ask God to take our crap, he takes it. Like, it's gone, and we are humans, guys, and so if we fail, it doesn't mean that God is then so distant from us, and we can't get back to him. No, God is always there, and he's ready to forgive, but our condition of our heart when asking him of those things is really, really important.
0: And so this habit of confession is made possible to us through grace, and not just any grace, but the grace of God. And so I like the definition of the grace of God as being his unearned, unmerited kindness and favor. And so just as we sang in Reckless Love, we didn't earn it, and we definitely do not deserve it, but he does pour it out on us through an abundance of his love and his grace and his generosity. And one of the most powerful moments for me was realizing and understanding the grace that God showed me through those times in my life that I mentioned before. And so, as I said, when I was going through all of this stuff, because I was raised with a general um, sense of foundation of the um, Christian faith. I thought, okay, well, God, I'm suffering, I'm hurting, and I might as well give you a try right now. Maybe you can fix this. And so I sat there, and I begged God to relieve me from my pain and my shame and all of this judgment. And initially, I felt better, but after a while, I still felt like there was a void. There was something missing, and God was telling me, I need you to confess to someone else. I love that you confess to me, and you don't need to confess to someone else so they can save you because I've already done that, but you need someone to help you with this healing process, someone to keep you accountable in the future. And so after a little while more of just pushing that away and pushing that to the side, I finally came clean and told my mom. And um, I, when I was going to tell her and I was laying it all out on the table, the only thing I could think of was, okay, well, she's not going to love me, she's not going to accept me, she's not going to see me the same anymore. Not because that's who she was, but because that's what shame and the enemy were telling me. And so that's all I could think of was she's not going to love me or accept me or see me the same. And all I found when I told her those things was love, acceptance, and no judgment at all. And she told me, Anna, this doesn't change how I see you. I still see you as my daughter. And what I love about that is it paints such a perfect picture of what God tells us when we come to him and confess things. He still sees me as his daughter. Even through all of this mess I've done, he wiped my slate clean. And so just as my mom still sees me the same as she did before all of that and still sees me as her child, so does Jesus. And I would love to say that after I made that step, things automatically got better. But the truth is that these feelings, this guilt is not just a switch. You can flip on and off. And so it was a it was a road of healing, but it did start a process of healing, a, pro- a road, um, a journey, if you will. And that journey eventually led to my salvation. And so I wouldn't have it any other way. That's so cool. I love so much how Anna just shares about her
1: mom and how she sees Jesus through her mom and the way that she loves her and doesn't judge her. Um, and I feel like it goes back to that illustration of the Petri dish. Like if we choose to let shame and guilt be growing because of secrecy and silence and judgment. It's going to continue to grow, but she chose to expose herself and to speak up and to not fear the judgment of her mother, and through that she was shown grace by her mom, and through that she realized the extent of God's grace, which is so, so powerful, and I feel like in the same way, whenever I started speaking up to people and telling them about the brokenness and the hurt that I was experiencing, I saw Jesus through them, and even though in that moment, though, I did not trust God with my stuff so I didn't want to talk to God about these things because I was angry with him but because people that I trusted and I knew that I could share these things with pointed me back to Jesus that's how I got to where I am now and I think if I hadn't spoken up to other people the healing process would have never began and there's so much power in speaking things into the light you guys and I think it's so cool when we think about our our wounds or our scars Um, And so when you think about a wound, right, if you are healing because you have a wound, it scabs over, right? And if you are picking at the wound, it's not going to heal. Like, it's going to keep opening up, and it's going to have to restart the healing process. And I feel like we can relate to wounds in that way. I know it's kind of a gross illustration. But when we think about the things that we know maybe are wounds in our life— Do we keep picking at them? Do we keep um, making them bleed again and we're not letting those things heal? Are we revisiting these habits that we have um, and are we not sharing them with other people to help hold us accountable? Um, And when you think about a wound, it can't become a scar until after it's healed. And when you think about Jesus, when Jesus went and died on the cross, he was nailed into his hands, into his feet and then he was buried in the grave, and then he rose again three days later. And guess what? His wounds on his hands and his feet were in fact healed, but there were scars that remained. And I think we can relate to that. Maybe you guys have wounds right now that are open that you need to let heal and you need to quit picking at them, and you need to quit revisiting them. Or maybe some of you guys have healed from wounds, and you have scars, but you're still hiding your scars. And Jesus, when he had his scars, that was living proof that he was the son of God, and that he died and rose again on that cross. When people doubted that, he said, no, I am I am him. Like, I have proof. And I think that's so powerful, and I think, just like Ann and I are sharing these stories, like, they, they are hard things to share, But we have scars, and we want to wear them proudly because we know that they share a story, just as Jesus' scars share a story. And we know that grace and healing can happen through other people's stories because it's powerful. And so if you guys have open wounds or maybe you have scars and you're not sharing them with people, I would just really encourage you guys just to bring those things into the light and to expose them and not be ashamed about it.
0: And so what we want you guys to understand is that you are open to this same grace. And like I said, we didn't earn it and we don't deserve it, but Jesus still pours it out over us. And so we want you guys, if you're struggling with these things, to take that first step by bringing these things into the light. And I love what it says in Ephesians 5 verses 11 through 14, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And you see, it's so important to bring these things into the light so that Jesus can shine his light on it, and we can receive that grace and that love and that generosity from God. And both mine and Charity's respective habits had to be cultivated over time. And we needed that disruption of bringing them into the light. And in Luke 8, 17, it says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open.
1: So tonight, guys, we're going to give you all the opportunity um, just to kind of respond tonight through an activity. Um, And so we're going to have volunteers that are going to be passing out um, lights at this time. And so... They look like little finger lights, so you guys can put them on your finger. Um, And we know that whenever you bring light into darkness, darkness cannot stand. Like, if you have light and darkness, you know light is going to overpower the darkness at any point in time. And so tonight, we're going to respond. We're going to have words up on the screen. And I just want to encourage you guys, if you feel bold enough and brave enough to say, hey, me too, Um, I just want you guys to shine your light, and so whenever you get your lights, I just want you to turn them on to make sure that they work. Just let me see your lights, and if they don't work, ask one of the volunteers um, for a new one. But guys, God is a powerful God, and he wants to walk through the hard things with us. He wants to be our healer. He wants to be the person who saves us because he's the only one who can, and I know that a lot of times we want to try and fix our own things, and we want the things to be done and away with, and we try and rely on ourselves. But guys, true healing can only happen through the power of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross and the grace that is so sufficient in Him. And so I just want want you guys to take a moment tonight to reflect on this activity and to think about those things.
0: So let's turn all the lights off as we enter into this activity. But I just want to share with you guys in Scripture In the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus has an encounter with an adulterous woman. And this woman's accusers come to Jesus and they want her stoned to death for the sin that she has committed. And Jesus says, Let he who has never sinned before cast the first stone. And one by one, we see these accusers slipping away and away and away until all that is left is Jesus and the woman. And Jesus says to the woman, Woman, where are your accusers? Have none of them condemned you? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so, guys, I just want to drive home the point that when we come to Jesus and we confess our sins to him, he does not condemn us. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so we want to encourage you guys so much to choose Jesus and choose freedom in that and bring these things into the light. And so after we shed light on these things, we're going to enter into a time of repentance and worship. And during that song, during that final song, if you have something on your heart that you need to talk to someone about, please, please go find a leader or find one of us after tonight. But before we do that, I want to enter into a time of worship through prayer. So if you'll bow your heads. God, we are so, so thankful for tonight. We are so, so thankful for your message, Lord, on repentance. Um, God, I just pray over tonight that each and every person in these seats Um, was impacted and touched by this message, Lord. And I pray over anyone who may be feeling like they have something they need to bring into the light, God, that they would have the courage to get up and do so. And God, I pray over anyone who, who confesses tonight, God, that they would know that your grace is poured out over them, Lord. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.